Good morning. So this service comes with a tag. You know how your blow dryer, your appliances, they all come with tags. Well, this service comes with a tag. It's this, that you're not going to be sitting there uh, for very long. Um, so we're going, this is going to be an interactive ex- experience. We're going to talk about uh, Jesus' Last Supper surprises. And each surprise causes us to respond. And I'm going to give you different ways to do that, that that invite you to stand and go to various places here in the auditorium, lighting a candle, um, taking um, little notes back to the prayer wall, and um, then finally together taking the elements of communion. So I invite you to embrace that experience and to, to come into this moment with me today. But this is Last Supper Surprises, and so I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you have experienced a surprise at a meal that either you hosted or you, something you were invited to? You had something unexpected. Yeah, a lot of us have had that happen. And as soon as I thought about Last Supper Surprises, I thought about, hmm, two, two specific dinners came to mind. One I'm just going to give you the brief snippet of, um, because it had a lot of real fun elements. But... Jared and I were invited to this couple's house. They were going to our church plant. They were new believers. And uh, we arrived at the home at the time that they said. And uh, Bubbles, believe it or not, that's what the guy called himself, Bubbles answered the door. Maybe that was a clue for us. Because uh, Bubbles said, oh, it's great, you're here. And just as he opened the door, um, his wife stumbled out from a back bedroom. And I say stumbled because she had worked all day and had taken a nap And it became quickly apparent, because she made it apparent, that he had not told her about this dinner invite. That's right. No dinner started. No anything. Okay, I'll leave you with that there, except it was a very awkward dinner, because they never resolved their differences over that. Um, But we did learn a lot about them through the course of it. But another story that came to mind, this was the second one, was when we were in college, Jared's uh, parents sponsored a girl from Japan. Her name was Kaoru Ichikawa, and we called her Kako for short. And she came to attend the University of Oregon and be part of Faith Center. She was a Christian and uh, lived there in the house of its presence, which Jared was the overseer of. Well, a few years into her college years, her mom came to visit. By this time, Jared and I were out planting a church in Sweet Home, but we got this fabulous dinner invitation to welcome Kako's mom from Japan. And that's all it said. It was going to be this wonderful dinner. So we came, and much to our surprise, when we got there, when we arrived, we discovered that it was a miracle-made party. Now, you're too young. I have more miles on you. Uh, to know what that product is, but it's a home cookware and cutlery product party. And it was intended to raise money for the hosts, which are dear friends of ours to this day on our missionaries to Japan. But they weren't in Japan yet. They were raising money to do it. And this was going to be, Miracle Made was going to be part of the path there. Well, needless to say, we felt totally caught off guard. We were totally surprised and can I say we were less than charmed? But we did not speak about it. We kept our feelings to ourselves. The thing is, the product, which we had never heard of, but the product was extremely expensive. And we had not come prepared to spend money, nor did we have a lot of money to spend if we had been prepared for it. So what we realized, okay, it's for a good cause. This is what we told ourselves as we privately you know, ran to the bathroom to have conference, mini conference. And... We 
are just going to enjoy the fact that we get to meet Kako's mom, and we're going to, uh, you know, hear her story through Kako because it was going to be um, translated. Well, as the product presentation was completed, which took several hours, because a part of the product presentation for Miracle Made was that a meal was cooked using all the cookware to show you how fabulous it was. And then that's the dinner party that we were invited to. So then we enjoyed the food. And at the end of that, they asked who would be interested in purchasing some of these products. And the first person to speak up was Kako's mom. And she said, I want to buy one of everything for Jared and Ann. And we were like, that was over $1,500 then. It was a very gift, I mean, amazing gift to us. But we were like, it's time for second conference. Conference number two, we hit the kitchen with our hosts and uh, Jim and his wife. And his wife was from Japan. And uh, he'd spent a lot of time there. And they said, you can't refuse this. You must not refuse it. Because their way of honoring Jared's parents is to honor uh, the son and his wife. And this is her way of honoring. And if you refuse this, you're dishonoring her. And you're doing it in public. So, you know, in front of these other people. So we went home that day with a complete set of miracle-made cookware, which is really quite awesome quality, and also a, a griddle, which I found on eBay for $70 today, okay? It's still worth a lot of money. Who knew? But I got rid of mine. Okay, so I had a griddle. I had a roaster. I had... Um, a cutting board. I had a complete set of cutlery, most of which I still have today. I mean, it was this amazing gift that we went home with. And I was like, what? You know, that's just crazy. So surprises. Surprises like that can both challenge us and encourage us. And today I want to propose to you that Jesus' Last Supper had both. It was no exception. There were surprises in it that both encouraged and challenged the 12 guys who shared this moment with him. But before we do that, before we read the account, we're going to look at Luke 22, verses 7 through 20, just one of several gospel accounts of this event. And from that, I want to talk about three surprises. Before I read it, I would like us to bring ourselves into that moment. I would like us to bring our attention into his story and what happened that day. Because you see, we're talking about a man's final meal. A man who was going to die a criminal's death even though he had done absolutely nothing wrong. A man who was God's one and only son. The one who showed us how to relate to God our Father as a child, because he was his child. A man who went about doing good. A man who others described as full of grace and truth. This is the story of his last meal. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. And they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover Passover. 
And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. How many of you vote for reclining? Yeah. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, as part of the Passover, there would have been four separate cups that would have been shared like this across the meal. And this would have been the first or second cup. It was not going to be the last cup that he shares in just a minute. But it was one of those two because those would always include the breaking of bread and thanks. And we pick it up. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And this would have been the final cup of the Passover. So I see three surprises in this particular account of the Lord's Supper that I want to talk about with you today and us share an experience together. The first surprise is God's timing. The God of the universe who is outside space and time is aware of and plans within our time-space continuum. He sends his one and only son to die for us, and the final days of his life are orchestrated in time with the symbolism of the Passover, an event that commemorates something that happened hundreds of years before, celebrating the freeing of the Israelites from the Egyptians after 400 years in slavery, something that used the sacrifice of a spotless lamb and the blood applied to the doorposts and the entries of each home. An accidental coincidence of timing? Not at all. So many little elements in Jesus' last meal point to God's sovereign timing. You see, Jesus had a prearranged venue for them to have supper at. He knew right where it was at and who the owner was. And he knew what was going to transpire. And he has these followers go and make preparations at the venue. And then he has a guy meet him as they enter the city. And you have to remember, the city is full of people because it's Passover. And I don't know about you, but this guy's going to be carrying a jar of water. But have you ever wondered how they recognize that guy? And how did he recognize them? Well, women... Not men usually carried the water. And men, when they carried it, carried it in skins, not jars. So this man would have stood out. Everything about this account tells us that Jesus had foreknowledge of what's going to transpire in the next few hours, including the events and details of this supper and including the really hard stuff. God had a plan And he had a time for every piece of Jesus' story here on planet Earth. And Jesus kept trying to tell these guys what the plan was, but they couldn't hear it. But the big plan for Jesus, including this meal, happened at the right time. What's the right time? God's time. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 6. He says, for while we were still helpless... 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, the Last Supper for Jesus and his closest followers took place just hours before his arrest and crucifixion. The preparations were made and the instructions were given that required the participation of other people that weren't even related. And it all happened just in time for them to experience Passover, which would have happened at sundown, about 6 p.m. that night. Passover, a sacrifice offered hundreds of years before that foreshadowed what Jesus is about to fulfill once and for all, giving his life for us so that we could escape our own death sentence and have a relationship with God and eternal life. And I just believe that God wants to give each of us a gift of faith this morning as we look at the last supper of Jesus about his timing in our lives, about how he orchestrates the details of our lives with foreknowledge because he's not bound by space and time. So the question for us today is, do you trust God with his timing in your life? Where have you struggled with his timing in your story? And before we celebrate this last supper, this communion with him, I'd like you to take a moment with his his timing in your life. You know, some Christians for many centuries have lit candles um, and offered prayers to God. And this kind of a candle is called a votive, and that's Latin for votum. And it means literally a promise, a dedication, a prayer. And I'm going to invite you, as you consider God's timing in your life, for the events of your life, maybe there's something in particular right now. Maybe there's a whole area where it's been rough for you to really trust him. I invite you to go to one of these four stations where there's candles, votive candles, and there's lighters there, the wonderful propane kind, And there's skewers there that you can light in the pillars that are already lit. And we encourage you to use both and to not be shy to gather all around the table as you light them so that everybody has a chance to do it that would light the like to. And as you light your candle, it's your chance to acknowledge God's sovereignty in the timing in our lives, that just as he cares and cared what his son's story was going to be as it unfolded. The care he took for every detail, he's taking that kind of care in our lives. And with the lighting of the candle, would you just acknowledge your trusting him in that area today? Some music's going to begin playing now, and I invite you to get up. There's two stations back there and two stations here. Would you go ahead? So surprise number two in Jesus' last meal was his attitude. In fact, you might notice this picture. I think Jesus is the one there with the smile. He's in the midst of a a lot of sad people. But Jesus' attitude stands out to me, and it challenges me at the same time. You might say, what's so challenging about it? Well, let's just reread verse 15 that we read earlier, where he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. The King James says it in a way that reflects the Greek construction of the sentence, because it says, with desire... 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus was kind of like one of our kids when they come to us and they want something. And they say, I really, 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 really want to do this. Mom or dad, you've had that, right? Well, Jesus here, he's saying it twice. He's emphasizing this deep longing. It would have been an intense longing. And he's saying, I've really looked forward to this. I want to do this so, 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 so much. What's challenging about that attitude? What challenges me about it is because of what we didn't read in verses 21 through 34, the following verses that contain part of the dialogue that happened around the Last Supper. You see, Jesus knew that in hours, one of these guys was going to betray him, one was going to deny him, and all of them were going to desert him. And knowing that full well in advance, he still had an intense longing to share his last meal with a bunch of friends who were going to let him down. Now, is this, is this, if this weren't enough, here's something else. They started talking about which of them was greatest, arguing about that. It's kind of like scrambling for power when the boss has told you he's going to die. They're worried about top dog. Yet even knowing this, Jesus still describes this deep longing he had to spend this time with them. Is that how you would respond? Not me. In fact, when I was younger, I used to have an internal saying, when you're done with me, I'm done with you. I know that sounds cold. It is. Does that sound like Jesus? No, I'll say it for you. It doesn't. Not in this story or any of the rest of his life. No, that's the exact opposite of what Jesus was doing here. He chose to have a last meal with closest friends, as he calls them, to show us what Jesus' love looks like. From beginning to end of Jesus' life, he never changed. His love that included anyone and everyone. His love that reached out even in the midst of rejection, even in the midst of disappointment. And I'm challenged that on his worst day, he still loves those he knew would not stand by him and prayed for them and then chose to share that meal with them. And it just reminds me that Jesus loves us even at our worst in the midst of our poorest decisions. And when you and I don't stand by him, he still stands by us. That's the attitude that I am amazed by Jesus. And the question for us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper is what's the state of our relationships right now? Is there someone who's let you down, hurt you, disappointed you, or rejected you, maybe even repeatedly? Paul writes to the church at Corinth and tells them that part of preparing ourselves to take the Last Supper is to examine ourselves, and one of the things we examine is our relationships, the state of them. Is there anybody that we need to extend the forgiveness of God toward? The greatest and highest expression of his love for us is that we're forgiven. And he's asked us to forgive as we've been forgiven, even repeat offenders. Those are called your family, for starters, okay? 
repeat offenders, we live with each other. I'm, some, I'm a bunch of people's repeat offender. You're somebody's repeat offender. But they're ours as well. So you found a slip of paper, and it was on your chair as you came in. And we have two walls back here, and they have uh, wires in them, these wire slots. And what I would like you to do is consider with the Lord for a few moments to just be quiet, music playing. And please, throughout this time, use it as a time to just relish and thank God for his love for you and his forgiveness for you if nobody comes to mind. But I'd like you to just look at your relationships. Is there anybody who's hurt you, disappointed you, let you down, that you haven't taken care of that? You know, even the smallest thing needs to be forgiven, even if they don't know about it. It's important that I do, that I forgive. That sets me free. And so today, if that's you, and if you just write their first name only, and then you roll it up like this, and you stick it in one of the wire slots back there, you just get up from your seat during that time. And again, if your relationships are all in good order, and you've forgiven, and there's nobody on that list, maybe it's somebody, though, from your past, then you can stay where you're at and just relax and refresh in God's love for you and his forgiveness for you. So let's do that for the next few minutes as the music plays. So if you take the juice and the bread in in hand, I want to talk about the third surprise. The third surprise were Jesus' action, specifically his words as he took the cup and the bread, would have been startling for his friends. They weren't like any words they had ever heard at the Passover before. The disciples understood that the bread represented the affliction of of their ancestors as they were fleeing Egypt. And eating it together, they understood, was a participation in their ancestors' experience and a remembrance of what had happened, how God had freed them out of slavery and brought them to the promised land. But Jesus is saying something new here. He called it the new covenant. He's saying this is not about the past. This is about you and me and what I'm about to do and our future together. And the blood that he referred to with the cup was not a literal lamb. It was his own the one called the Lamb of God. And it would be shed in hours for them and for us. And the bread was not just the suffering of some ancestors who lived hundreds of years ago, but it was rather his body that was about to be broken for us. This was truly not like any Passover meal this 12 had ever celebrated. You see, those had all been about commemorating something in the past and hoping for a different future. But this was Jesus, their rabbi, their leader, and friend, as he called them, telling them that he was about to die for us all, them included, once and for all, our escape from our death sentence, the one that would pay it all. And this was all about to unfold for these 12 over the course of the next couple days before their very eyes. The thing is, you and I have the rest of the story today. They didn't have it at this point. But we are more like them than we want to think. 
You see, we get stuck in the past. And we get stuck on our performance. But Jesus gave us something to do regularly to remind us of what he did then and not to stop there. It's not just about the then. It's what the then means for right now, today, in this moment. Where do you need God's beautifully orchestrated timing in your life? Where do you need to know that his hand is involved there, that he does not have his back turned to you today? Where do you need to know that attitude that he has towards you like he did his disciples that even when you've let him down, he loves you. That his forgiveness is not based on your performance this morning or what will happen this afternoon. Today, in this moment, you are a forgiven child of God if you want to be. You are not here by accident today. He orchestrated that. And he is present. He loves you today knowing full well that each one of us will have moments where we disappoint him, where we let him down, where we mess up. And so today, as we take this bread and this juice, I want us to consider what Jesus did for us and what it means for you, each one of us, individually, in this moment. So I'm going to ask you to raise the piece of bread in the air At this meal, Jesus would have done this. He would have raised it as the head of the table, as the head of the group, would have raised it up. And we're going to give thanks for Jesus' body that was given for us. Jesus, we do say thank you today. Thank you for giving your body, an innocent body at that, one who knew no wrong, and yet you took our death sentence and helped us escape that. Thank you, Lord, for the love that motivated you. And that, Lord, you did this for everyone. We celebrate that, what it means for our day. In Jesus' name, would you take the bread with me? And then we have the juice, and if you'd lift it up there in front of you. today that forgiveness is yours, that the slate is clean, if you want it to be. He's extending it. Forgiveness is all about us saying yes, receiving it this morning. So when you take this cup, if there's an area that you need forgiveness today, would you just say, Jesus, I receive it as I receive this juice that represents your blood. That's the most meaningful thing you could do for him. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us and that we stand before you in Christ today, that we are without spot, without blemish, that you've forgiven us past, present, and future. And we step into that, Lord, freshly as we take this cup and remember you have finished the work that needed to be done on the cross. So we take the one step we can take, which is to say we receive you today. We receive your sacrifice for us. We receive your blood that washes away all our sin. In Jesus' name.